You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. All right. Mr. Brian Baggs is coming to, to speak to us this morning. Come on up, Brian. That was a really nice applause, whoever applauded. Thank you. Hey. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Where am I going to put this? Okay. How's it going? Good. So let me give you a little background on this talk before we get into it. Uh, The background is this. So I've kind of known for a little while that I've wanted to talk about something. It's something that's like really, really important to me. I, I sent Antley an email and I said, yo, dude, if there ever comes an opportunity where like you need someone to fill a spot, I'd love to talk on something. Thankfully, he's in India today. So now I get an opportunity to, to talk about this thing. And for quite some time, I had like the meat and potatoes, right? Like I knew the gist of what it is that I really felt like God had been revealing to me something that I really wanted to share with the, with the rest of you guys, right? Uh, but I didn't know, like, how to put together this talk, like, you know, because normally great talks have some sort of fantastic story that's kind of interwoven, that kind of leads in there, kind of hooks you in some sort of capacity, and then kind of builds into this, like, crescendo, like, final moment at the end. It's, like, really cool, really sweet, really awesome, and all that kind of stuff. And so... Uh, I don't have one of those. Um, And I really, really tried. I got to be honest with you. I tried really hard because I really wanted this to go well, right? So uh, the first thing I did is I thought, what is one of the best stories of all time? And the conclusion that I came to was Rocky IV. So uh, what I tried to do was I, I, I forced myself to watch all these YouTube clips where other people have said, hey, this aspect of Rocky IV is amazing. And so, like, I watched the training montage, and it was really fantastic, you know, as he's getting ready to, to battle the Russian and everything. And I thought, how did they get my body into that clip? But, I mean, that's another story. So then the next thing I thought was, okay, I, I, I couldn't get it, by the way. I tried. It's not going to come up on the screen. It's, it just didn't work. So the next thing that I tried was, well, shoot, The Matrix is a fantastic movie. Let me see if I can get some Matrix clips up in here, because if I can get the Matrix up in here, people will be, like, really, really excited, because, you know, the Matrix is cool, right? I mean, there's tons of analogies in there. And so I, I thought about pulling up the clip where Morpheus is training with Neo, right? You remember this? Like, they're doing some, like, kung fu stuff, and, and, and I was this close to having that be part of the talk, but it just didn't work out. So last night, at about 9 o'clock or so, I turned to Carly, my wife, and I say, Carly, I'm stuck. I ain't, got any, I ain't got any stories. Like, can you think of anything? And so, you know, she, I let her take a look at my notes on the talk. And I said, you know, don't tell me right away, but just think about it. Just see if you can think of anything that's going to fit with this talk. And, you know, like a very fantastic wife, she did. She read through the notes, and she thought about it, and I tried to give her some space, and I circled back around to her. I was like, so did you think of anything? And she said, yeah. She goes, I've only got one story. It just keeps coming to mind over and over again. And I said, well, great. That's fantastic. I only need one story. It's not like I need a whole dozen of them. So shoot, what do you got? She goes, I don't know if you're going to like it. I was like, Carly, come on. What you got? I need something. She goes, well, dirty dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, really? Dirty dancing? 
And she said, yeah, yeah, dirty dancing would be perfect. She goes, let me show you how. And so like a good husband and a somewhat like scared preacher, I just said, okay, yeah, let's take a look at dirty dancing. And so she started walking me through the movie and how all these different clips line up with the talk. And even though I think theologically she was fantastic, um, I just couldn't put Dirty Dancing up here (laughs) with a straight face and walk through it and be like, yes, and look here, she's trying to learn to dance and watch her hips. And So the the long story coming to an end is that um, we're really just going to go ahead and go with like the meat and potatoes because I couldn't figure out a way to intertwine things and I wrestled with it at length. And uh, it was dirty dancing or nothing, and I, and I chose nothing. Is that okay? <laughs> You'll be fine with that? God, I thank you for this morning that we can come together, that we can laugh, we can enjoy your presence. I thank you for the opportunity to worship you. God, I thank you for uh, these guys and these gals as they've led us into this place of getting an understanding of who you are, of praising you and thanking you for all that you've done. God, I thank you that Your word says that you are with us when we gather, that you've given yourself the name Emmanuel, God with us. God, be with us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bring like a better understanding of who you are. Come, be with us in Jesus' name. So, some of you will sympathize with this. In fact, maybe the majority of you will. And others of you will be like, Ryan, get a life. Uh, but this past January, I turned 30, and uh, that was, you know, like a midlife crisis moment for me, because 30, from my perspective, <laughs> is pretty old. I've never been 30 before, not once in my entire life, and so now I'm here. Where's the SOBs group? <laughs> okay, please forgive me. So I, I turned 30, and I was doing lots of reflection and all this, and Uh, And I went to a party with some RCC people. Go figure, right? Party in RCC, right? And uh, this guy asked me, he says, so Brian, in your 30 years of existence, and he's younger than I am, so he could talk about it as if it's old. In your 30 years of existence, what's what's the best thing you've learned so far? And in reality, it came pretty easily because it's something that I've been thinking a lot about over the past few months. And so that's basically what we're going to be talking about today. And... The gist of it is, is that living for God is horribly difficult. That living for God is extremely hard. That living for God in the midst of of all these different things that we experience in life is something that is extremely challenging, extremely difficult, and oftentimes like no fun at all. And that was the thing that I learned. And so we're going to go through this morning, I want to look at three different concepts, and we'll go ahead and bring the first one up on the screen now. But I want to talk to you and walk through what these three different concepts are, and how ridiculously hard it is to try to live for God in the midst of this particular concept. And then as we're going to go through, we're going to go through these, just to kind of introduce you to them, and we're going to take a look at some scripture, and, and, and maybe come to terms with how we understand these three different concepts. We'll revisit these three at the end of the talk, hopefully, if all goes well. And maybe perhaps we'll take a little bit different perspective on living for God as we go through the rest of the talk this morning. Sound like a fair plan? All right. So the first concept is 
sin. It's three letters. It's ugly. It's profound. It, like, makes me uncomfortable seeing it up on the screen. Maybe it makes you feel uncomfortable as well. But it's extremely hard in my experience. Maybe this isn't yours. It's extremely hard in my experience to live for God when you're struggling with sin, right? The scriptures say that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I didn't need that in the scriptures to be able to realize it in my own life, right? Those of you who have honest and have looked in the mirror before at different things in your life know that struggling with sin can be extremely difficult. Maybe perhaps you guys can relate to dealing with the damage of gossip, of stealing, of lying, of unrighteous anger. Maybe you've had those before kind of like flower up in your life. And then you've seen maybe some of the different destruction that comes from it. And you want to stamp it out because you know that it's not a life of virtue. You know it's not something that you want to be part of who you are. Maybe you've been gripped by alcohol or pornography or drugs or just flat out impure thoughts or even actions. And you've had an opportunity to see the destruction that it can cause to not only to you, but to those that you love. I've been there before of dealing with sin where it just seems to take away at the very essence of who you are. And if you've ever grappled with something before, maybe you can relate to this as well. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, the sin that really doesn't affect any other part of your life. You know, you can kind of go on. It doesn't even have an impact. No one else even knows, although I might ask whether or not it really does have an impact on your life. But for those of you who have, like, all of a sudden tasted the goodness of God and tasted a life of virtue, and you've looked back at yourself and you've seen this thing called sin— These things where you're just not proud of some of the actions that you have, and they seem to be habitual in nature. And all of a sudden, you say, you know what? I'm going to stamp this thing out. I'm going to get this thing out of me. It's no longer going to be my identity. I'm no longer going to be this guy or this gal who's defined as something, fill in the blank, alcohol, drugs, lying, cheating, gossiping, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is. And so what you do is you start focusing on this sin in your life and you start filling all these, like, maybe you do, like, accountability partners, right? Maybe you start putting up all these different safeguards in your life so that you're not going back to the thing that you know, like, just produces destruction in your, in your, in your daily walk, right? And so you start focusing on all this stuff, right, that you can try to do to try to manage that sin in your life so that you can be a better Christian, so that you can be a better follower, so you can be a better husband, a wife, a son, or daughter, a, a worker, an employee, I've been down that road, and it seems like the more I focus on trying to get the sin out of my life, the more the sin continues to come. And it's like, really? What is this? I'm trying my best to live for God, right? Like, I'm doing everything I can to manage this sin, to kick it down, stamp on it, and get it out of the way. But yet, it just continually comes. For me, what I've experienced is that living for God in this place of dealing with the sin in your life can be extremely hard. It can be extremely hard to continually to come to church, to open up your Bible, to to surround yourself with those who who are also in love with God when you're always focusing on the sin. You know, Jesus said that his, uh, his yoke would be easy and his burden would be light. For those of you who have struggled with sin like I have, 
doesn't seem very easy or light. It seems to be oppressive in nature because everything you want to do is to live for God, but yet it keeps coming. The next concept that I wanted to talk about is suffering. And just as a side note, I did manage to keep everything in the letter S today. So I feel somewhat like Sesame Street. I do watch a lot of it with my girls, right? So today's talk is brought to you by the letter S. <laughs> Sorry, that's what having a four-year-old and a two-year-old will do. So then there's this other thing that we call suffering, right? And I almost don't even want to go too much into this one because I know that there are many of you in this room. This is where you are right now. Maybe you call it suffering. Maybe you call it setbacks. Maybe you call it trials. Maybe you just call it, like, hardship. But sometimes in life, it seems like, and maybe this is everyone in the room, you're at a place where the circumstances of life are almost suffocating. And in this place where things are so hard, it begins to put strains like on all of your relationships. It puts you in a, in a mode of depression where it's just, you know, you maybe just want to sleep all the time, right? Because when you're awake, you're having to deal with the moment that is. It seems like, um, you know, you, you know maybe that God exists and that you believe that he's supposed to be good because that's what some of your Christian brothers and sisters say about him. But when suffering comes, and I, I don't mean just like, you know, you stub your toe, but I mean like when like there's the, the loss of a family member or a friend or there's repeated failures in the workplace, or there's um, disease or sickness, or there's, there's just the trial that just comes and does not let go, and it feels like it's strangling you. And in that moment, this concept of living for God seems ridiculous. Because one, you're not even sure if he exists at the moment because of where your circumstance is. And then the other side of it is, is that, okay, even if I allow myself to say that he does exist, is he good because of where I am and what I'm going through and what my loved ones have been faced with? To go back to what we said at the conclusion of sin, it's like Jesus talks about this abundant life and he talks about this easy and light aspect and it's like almost like you know flowers and music playing and you know you're just dancing through the fields and all is good and well and those who have struggled with sin <clears throat> and those who have been in a place where suffering is at its greatest you think really like living for God in the midst of this is all like rainbows and care bears and stuff I also watched Care Bears this morning, too, so <laughs> that allowed us to get ready, put our kid in front of a TV, which is horrible. But um, so suffering, how do you live for God in a place of suffering? How do you live for God when life itself seems to be stripped away from you? You can't live for anything in that moment, can you? 
So the last S is this other one. It's called service. And what I mean by this word is, is that, okay, you've tasted the goodness of who God is. You've experienced how amazing he is. Maybe something transformational has taken place in your life. Maybe you've seen a miracle like we heard about uh, up here this morning. Maybe it's a miracle that we hear later today. Maybe you've had some sort of encounter with God that it propels you forward to a place of wanting to serve him, to live for him, to bring him some sort of glory because of what he's done for you. And maybe you've been at this for a little while, right? And all of a sudden, you're going to every time these doors are open, every sort of ministry event, every sort of ministry opportunity. You're everywhere and anywhere that this church goes. Maybe you end up going to another church, too, because you just can't get enough of the service opportunities here, even though they're abundant in nature, because you want to do more and more and more. And your heart is right because you want to bring glory to God, right? You want to do something for him. You want to live for him. You want your body to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. And so you start going to one service opportunity after the other. You start giving everything that you have, and then all of a sudden you realize you have nothing left. And instead of being this abundant life where, the, where like, like it's light and easy and all these different things, right, the next thing you realize is, is that this life is hard. Uh, it's unfulfilling. It's, um, it wears you out. It runs you ragged. It puts strains on the relationships that you feel are most dear to you, right? Because you're constantly going, 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 and you're all about producing good works unto the Father, right? And so you continue to serve and serve and serve and serve in hopes that you might be able to bring glory. Maybe you even understand that it's not that you're earning, like, God's love or God's, you know, forgiveness or salvation or anything else. You just want to work, 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 work for him in order to bring him like a sacrifice of praise. And I've been there too. I, I, you know, I've, I've been here with sin and suffering and service. I mean, that's a talk for another day. But I know that this happens. <clears throat> At some point, you hit this wall, and all of a sudden, living for God is just flat out hard. And you begin to wonder, like, can I continue this? In my case, I'm 30. Well, am I supposed to do this till I'm like 75, 80, 90? Can I keep this up? Right? Can I continue to live for God? And you begin to struggle with it. <clears throat> so, this is my problem. <clears throat> kind of bring it back. Jesus said that his yoke was easy and his burden was light. But I want to say in what capacity? Because when you go through these stages of life, and maybe you're even at all three, it seems almost impossible. There's nothing easy or light about it. And this is where I was. <clears throat> this mindset that I had. And then one day a thought came to me and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Except for the bricks didn't hit me so much as they did the thoughts or the shackles that I had about keeping me bound to a life of living for God. The bricks, as they fell, they didn't fall necessarily on me, but they fell on the to-dos for God. And it seems like those began to break, and I began to find some freedom. So here's the problem and the hope. There's a kernel of truth. There's a beauty that comes in living a life for God. However, there's a subtlety in the scriptures that make a huge difference in our experience of faith. There's a kernel of truth in living for God. 
We can go through all these different scriptures. We went through James this past Wednesday night of, 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 of having faith without works is dead. We could talk about in the book of Colossians. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord and not for men. And there's all these different things where we th- see that works are a part of the Christian life, right? There's this service. There's this, all this stuff. We see that sin should be no more. We see that, you know, we should count all trials as joy, speaking of James. <clears throat> We're supposed to live for God, right? Yes. But let me introduce just a, a minor subtlety that I feel is huge as it relates to these things and as it relates to our experience. And it's found in John chapter 15, verses 4 through 5. Now, John 15 is a fantastic chapter. So if you have time, go in it and read it. There's tons of fantastic nuggets that exist there. John 15, 4, 5 says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'd like to suggest, and you can keep this on the screen for a little bit. I'd like to suggest that while living for God is a wonderful and a beautiful thing, to live sacrificially unto the Father is fantastic. But this scripture, it tends to lend itself, in my perspective, that God has not merely called us to live for him, but in his goodness, he's wooing us to live from him. I think what the opportunity is before us is that, you know, we can make a transition in our mindset that we don't have to necessarily live for God, but we can live from him. I want to come back to these three concepts of sin, suffering, and service to walk through what I mean by this. <coughs> you can go ahead and put that one back up. Thanks. As I said earlier, in my life, when I've experienced sin, right, it seems to me that when you focus on the sin on your life, it's the sin that you continue to go to. Likewise, when you focus on the sun in your life, it's the sun that you become. When you focus on the sin in your life, it's the sin you become. When you focus on the sun in your life, it's the sun you become. You know, when we're dealing in the midst of our sin, we continue to try to live for God, right? And so we continue to try to, like, beat out this sin. And so everything in our mind begins to focus on how we can get this sin out. We can flush it out of our lives, right? Let's just get it out. And it seems like when we continue to focus on the sin, it's to the sin we become and to the sin we go. Like almost returning to our vomit in a sense, right? When we focus on the sun in our life and we focus on sun as in Jesus Christ in our life, it seems like the more and more, at least in my life, that we focus on him, it's the more and more that we become like him. And then sin almost seems to fall away. The things that once held us back seem to kind of slide off because we're now focusing on the sun instead of the sin. When you're focusing on the sin, you're trying to live for God. When you're focusing on the Son, all of a sudden you live from God. So let me, let me put it this way. Um, so I, I, I've been recently sick, right? Uh, I had like some really bad cold and some other stuff. And I had a really amazing God moment with some DayQuil. Not an overdose of DayQuil, but just a regular dose of DayQuil. I had an amazing encounter with God, right? So here I am. I'm pouring in my little, like, you know how you get those little plastic cups, right? And it has two tablespoons in it, and you pour it in, and then it kind of like that orange stuff just coats, right? Has anyone had DayQuil before? 
Okay, good, good. Okay, so you've had day code for it. So I put it in there. I throw it back, right, and I look at it, and there's a whole lot more still left in that cup. And so I start shaking it like this because I need every ounce of this day quill if I'm going to get any better. Trust me, I got to get it out. So I start shaking it, and I start doing a little dance and stuff. I'll save you. I won't do the dance here. But I start doing a little dance and everything to try to get this day quill out of it, and the day quill won't come out of it. It's just staining the rim of this cup, and I can't get it to come out. And so I start shaking it some more, and then now I've got a little, like, you know, challenge. Uh, I've got a little uh, opportunity in front of me. I'm now going to see. It's no longer about whether or not I'm going to get to Daco, but whether or not I can get it out. So then I actually go to the sink, and I don't know why I'm doing this because it's like um, it's a real waste of time. But now I'm just trying to shake the Dayquil out to see if I can ever get the stain to come out of the cup. And I keep trying, and I keep trying. And then, you know, like, you know, I, <laughs> I find myself talking myself, pumping myself up. Like, you can do it, Brian. You can do it. You can do it. As if that might help, right, you know. And, uh, you know, ironically, after like a few minutes go by, and maybe my daughter walks by like, what's dad doing? I don't know what happened. But anyway, I I break myself from this saying, it ain't going to work. So then I just put it into the sink. I turn on the faucet, and all of a sudden the water flows in, and the water pushes it all out, and it's done like that. And I had a God moment right there because at that moment, I felt like God spoke to me in the moment of the day quill. Sometimes in life when I have sin, I try to, like, try to motivate myself to get the sin out of my life. I start going to accountability partners. I start putting all these safeguards. I start doing all this jig and this dance in order to get the sin out of my life. And it just doesn't work because it stained the sides and there was nothing I could ever do to get the sin out anyway. That's why we sent Jesus Christ. And so I put it under the water and I turned it on and the water comes flowing down and it pushes everything out. And it's the same as our life with Christ, right? Like when we're trying to live for him and get this stuff out, the sin just doesn't escape. But when we come and sit underneath the faucet of his grace and his mercy and his love, it comes pouring down, right? And it sits into that cup and it pushes all the sin out of our life because he's coming in. And when he comes in, nothing else can be there. It's like his love just comes in and it's an amazing thing and it pushes everything else that's bad away. It says that where there is light, there can be no darkness, right? And so the light comes in and it pushes it out. And I had this amazing encounter with God, and it made me just sit there and sit for a second and say, wow, it's a little bit like that, isn't it? When I focus on the sin, the sin remains. When I focus on the Son and putting myself under the faucet of his mercy and his grace and his love and everything else, and I allow it to pour into my life, it's like that stuff that was there that was staining me and keeping me from living for him and everything else, it gets pushed out. I don't have to worry about that anymore. When you focus on the sin, it's the sin you become. When you focus on the Son, it's the Son you become. There's scriptural references for this, and we won't go into it, but 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Don't focus on the sin. Focus on being in Christ. That's where the new creation is born, right? Philippians 4.8, as if speaking to this very topic as well, says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Nice. Yeah, that was good music. We don't even need David anymore. Let's just play that. (laughs) I'm only kidding. Sorry. Um, So... It's as if scripture is saying, like, where are you living from? Are you living from your sin or are you living from God? When you're living from God, it's like your mind is all on the things above, right? The things that are good and right and justice, you know, all, all that stuff. When you're living from there, like, that's what he's calling us to. Everything changes. When you're living from the sin, you're thinking about things that are on the ground. You're thinking about the stain in your life. You're thinking about all this stuff, and you start trying to figure out how you're going to jiggle this thing out, and it doesn't work. 
What you need to do is bring your mind to a place of where you're from. Where's the scriptures say you are? The scriptures say you're a new creation, right? So a subtlety here, sin and life. I used to think living for God would allow me to just like knock it down. And then I found out living from God allows me to just bask in him, in his presence. And I start to notice as I sit there how some of these things are leaving that once used to hold me back and used to keep me in bondage. Let's go to the next one. Suffering. The setback, the death, uh, the financial trouble, the sickness, the marital catastrophe, the parenting duress, the pain, whatever it may be. When you're living from that place of the circumstance, the problem is insurmountable. It's unfixable, it's unhealable, and it's without hope. I don't want to belittle suffering because I know that some people here are in the midst of suffering right now. And so for you, I don't want to say here is a, a little nugget applied to this your life and just like man up or, you know, woman up or whatever the case may be is. Because I know that when suffering is at its strongest, how difficult it is when everywhere you go, you can't escape the sting of this tragedy where everywhere you go, you're reminded of uh, the depravity of the situation, where everywhere you go, you feel like you're suffocating from some sort of circumstance. And I don't want to belittle that by any means, because I know for some of you at this time, that's a very real thing. And know for those of you who are in that place of suffering, my heart goes out to you. I know what it's like. Our Savior knows what it's like to be in a place of suffering, and it's hard. I do want to say this. <clears throat> in the place of suffering, you don't have to live for God. In the place of suffering, there's an opportunity to live from Him. When you're living for God, your perspective is from the problem. Let's, let's do this. We did this on James. Sorry, make sure it's, it's clear. So, imagine, if you will, this music stand is God, Right? a hard stretch, but just you know, for the sake of this, it's God. I didn't make anything, and I didn't bring the dirty dancing clip, so I don't got anything else. So imagine this is God right here, and this is me. I've experienced the goodness of God, right, and now I'm going to decide to live for him because he's been so good. I've tasted the life of virtue. I've tasted the life of blessing. I've tasted the life of forgiveness, of love, of mercy, of grace. I've seen him do miraculous things in my own life, and now I want to live for him, and I'm going to do everything I can to live for him. And so I do my dance. I do my shake. I do all my life in order that I might bring him glory, and I continue to live to bring him honor and glory and praise, and then suffering comes, and I feel like no longer standing up here, but I start going down to the floor, right, and I'm now in that place, and it's how do I from my moment of lying on the floor and the moment of my suffering where I don't even know if God exists or if he's good, how do I continue to live for him that I might be able to bring him some sort of honor and glory and praise like I did when I was back here? And the deal is, is that when you're in the real place of suffering, like for those of some of you who may be here, it's impossible to try to live for God. It's impossible. Maybe you can for a little while, but as the suffering continues, it just becomes more and more impossible to live for God as if somehow, like, you're just going to... Suck it up and continue to live for him in the midst of everything. When you live from God, all of a sudden things change. Because now for the first, the perspective is different. 
When I live from God, I have a big perspective of who God is. And the problem seems small. When I'm living for God, I'm in the midst of my suffering and my circumstances. And I'll tell you what seems small is God because he's far away. I'll tell you what seems big, it's my problem. Because I'm sitting right here and all I can see and breathe and taste and everything else is the situation I'm in. And in the situation that I'm in, it's huge. But if I take an aerial view, coming from the heart of the Father and I get to experience his goodness and love, I look back on that situation and now all of a sudden there's hope. Now all of a sudden I might be able to believe that a miracle might take place of a healing in my heart or a change in my situation because of where I'm rooted and where I'm from. From the problem, God seems small. From God, the problem seems small. I say that right? From the problem, God seems small. From God, the problem does. <clears throat> we won't go into this for much, but in Psalm 23, verses 4 through 5, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. One, there will be days or seasons that we walk through in life where it feels like we are in the valley of shadow of death. Two, David says that in that place, we have a God who decides to prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Enemies literally means in this, uh, as we understand it, going back, the original context, that which has tried to crush you in times past. So we have a God that says that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though like you're, uh, you've had opportunity, you've had experiences in life where it's literally tried to crush the very core of who you are, uh, the, the, the analogy is like a grape in a wine press, like literally just crushing you, right? In that place, God says, I want to prepare a table before you. I want you to be able to feast on me. I want you to be able to take my bread. I want you to be able to take my wine. I want you to just feast on my presence. Because when it's there, we get anointed with the oil of gladness. So in the moment of our suffering, in the moment of our like despair, in the moment of where things just look insurmountable odds for us to get through, we have two options. We can do what we think we ought to do, and we can live for God. And maybe you can do it. I can't do it. Maybe you can do it. Or what we have is, in the midst of our suffering and our trials and our setbacks and everything else, we can come to him and we can allow him to prepare a table before us, putting on us the oil of gladness that we might be able to see the suffering in a different way, that we might be able to experience God in the midst of our suffering. We have an opportunity to live from God in suffering. We don't have to necessarily live for him. There's great freedom in that, that now all of a sudden you don't have to man up, so to speak, in the moment of trials or setback, but now you can come and be with him. He calls us to a place of intimacy and suffering to live from him back into the world as opposed to for him. There's this last thing up here, and that's service. <clears throat> you know, we talked about the vine and the branches, and I didn't unpack it much because I wanted to make sure we get through this and time's coming to an end here. But, you know, we want fruit produced in our, in our works, right? What better analogy could you have I can stand over here and I can do all the works I want in order to try to bring him praise, right? But there's a difference between good works and God works. Good works, they're good. God work is what produces fruit. 
and allows us to have that long-lasting life of service to others and to him. As if we, a branch apart from the vine, could produce anything worthwhile. What God has called us to with regards to works is to be from him. As a branch is connected to the vine, that's where fruit comes out. Over here, what am I doing? How can a branch separated from the vine produce any good fruit in his life? Whatever I am producing, I, I, I don't even know what you want to call it. Maybe it's more about me than it is about him. When I'm from him, now all of a sudden I allow the Holy Spirit to move. And all of a sudden I can see what the Father is doing and do what he does. Remember, Jesus said this, right? I only do what I see the Father doing. Who are we to think that we're any better than Jesus? I'll tell you what, when you're living over here for God, it's really hard to see what the Father is doing. When you're living from God, it's a lot easier to see what he's doing so that you know what it is that you're to do. You may not necessarily be called to do every single good work that you're currently doing in your life. But I will tell you this, that when you have intimacy with the Father, he'll call you to do God works in your life. And all of a sudden, the, the, the service that you were doing in your own power now takes on the power of the Holy Spirit. And now all of a sudden, as you're, like, say, walking through Costco and you see somebody that's sitting behind the counter and you begin to have a conversation with her, and all of a sudden God reveals to you different things about going on in her life and you begin to speak at it, she can turn to you and say, are you some sort of medium? How do you know about these different things that are happening in my life? And you say, look, I'm living from the Father. When you live from the Father, he speaks good things into your life. And he brings encouragement. And he tells us what's going on. I could have tried to live for God in that moment of talking with a girl at Costco. And I could have done any number of different things. And maybe it would have had some effect. Maybe it would have been some good in order for me to encourage this woman. Fantastic. I tell you what, the miraculous happens when you live from God because you're dependent on him. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes. When we live for God, we're acting as servants. When we live from God, we embrace our role as sons and daughters who have the opportunity to serve. Paul has called us ambassadors of Christ. How can you be an ambassador of something for a place you've never been from? You want to be an ambassador of Christ? You want to take up the cause and resemble his likeness and bring his kingdom? How can you do it if you're not living from the place where he came? When we live from God, we invoke the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us in all things. And we enable that spirit to move us as he wants. Living from God allows us to bring the kingdom with us wherever we go and with whatever we do. I think I might have gone a little long, but that's the, uh, the gist of the meat and potatoes that I wanted to share with you this morning. Can I come up?